0: In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
1: This episode of Stuff You Should Know is sponsored by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with the Squarespace website. Go to squarespace.com and set your website apart.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. This is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Not the least of which is membered by Jerry. (laughs) Boy, that was exciting. I have a a bag cold. Yeah. My brain's not functioning quite right.
0: Yeah, but this is not the old days where you have the six weeks of cold. Right. Hopefully this will be just a couple of episodes. That's right. Bear with us. Yeah, bear. But to make up for it, I have all my teeth, finally. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's just this constant pendulum. That's right. It swings from one of us to the other. Got all toothed up yesterday. Feeling good? The eight months is over.
1: It, like, click your teeth together for everybody. I'm
0: afraid to. Oh, okay.
1: Are <laughs> <laughs> you like, they're precious? Yeah. I'm af-
0: i got to treat them very carefully. <laughs> and I got fitted for a, a bite guard, so I, when I grind my teeth at night, this uh, doesn't keep happening. Yeah. So things are looking good. Yeah.
1: Everything's coming up, Chuck. That's funny. Yumi has a bite guard, too, from grinding her teeth. Yeah. So two of the most significant people in my life... Grind their teeth. Both grind their teeth. Does
0: she bite her fingernails? But I don't. <laughs> Does she bite her fingernails? No, she doesn't. No. Yeah, I, I take out my stresses on my body.
1: Yeah, those are short nails. Do they hurt? Do they just ache? No, because sometimes I, if I overdo it, they do. If, if I, when I cut my nails and I file them a little too short, yeah, they just ache for a day or so afterward. Yeah, Whoa.
0: it's a habit. I've always done it.
1: Yeah, like since you can remember.
0: Yeah, yeah, I wore that. Uh, bitter polish for a while when I was a kid to try and stop. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I just chewed right through it. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's so bitter. Still must bite.
1: (laughs) I kind of like it in a weird way. Yeah. The part of me that hates myself loves that taste. (laughs) It's so weird. Uh, Well, Chuck, let's talk about another habit. Okay. A habit that humans have had for a very long time, Uh, and that is the habit of using animals as models for humans, as stand-ins for humans, when we want to test new things Find yeah. out new things about ourselves. Yeah, like, will this kill me? Let's put it on an animal. Right. Uh, does the heart or the lungs actually pump blood around the body? Let's cut a dog open and find out. Yeah. We've been doing it for a very long time.
0: Yeah, and this article came with its own own intro story, which was pretty interesting, I thought.
1: Yeah, we haven't done one of those in a long time. That used to be like a standard aspect of this. Yeah,
0: now we just babble. The in- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We just
1: share what's going on in our lives, our days. Pretty much. Sorry, everybody. It must be a real letdown now that I think about it.
0: Should we do this, though? Sure. All right. Well, let's go back in time, uh, back to 1937. Uh, and there was a company called, a pharma company called S.E. Massengill uh, out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a great, I almost want to say, wonder drug. Uh, that was an antibi- uh, antibiotic that worked really well uh, in its powdered form, and people started clamoring and said, we love this stuff, but it sure would be great if we could put it as a, as a drop under my tongue instead.
1: Right. I like liquids. I'm not big on powders. Sure. Like that weirdo Richard Petty who just takes goodies powder. Like... That's me. I love that.
0: <laughs> Dude, that's my go-to. Yeah. It's got caffeine. That's what helps. Yeah, for migraines too. Oh, really? Caffeine's a big one. Yeah, Emily can't do them, but the, the, it's my... I couldn't either. It's my hangover cure. I see. Did I say that out loud? You did. Yeah. It works wonders.
1: I thought Bloody Mary's were your hangover cure.
0: No. I'm not I'm not a hair of the dogger. That's what it was
1: invented for, you know.
0: Yeah. All right, well, I'm getting a self-check. I apologize. <laughs> uh, so they decided we need a liquid form of this. Uh, what was the name of the drug? Uh, Sulfanol.
1: Man, I just had it. Sulfanilamide. Yes. Or sulfanilamide. I think
0: sulfanilamide. Okay. That's how I would say it if I were a 1937 Tennessean. Well, uh, they had a chemist named Harold Cole Watkins who went to the lab and Mm-mm. said, all right, now let's dissolve this stuff in something called uh, diethylene glycol. Diethylene. What- that one I know. Worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. So they added a little raspberry flavoring mm-hmm. to make it palatable and they said, it smells pretty good, tastes pretty good, looks pretty good. Let's sell it. Yeah, and
1: they did. They sold a bunch of it in just like one one month after mixing up a batch of the stuff. They had 633 shipments all over the country. Yes. Because there was a huge demand for this. I mean, like, sul- sulfanilamide was already an established drug. The idea of it being in some sort of palatable form, yeah. that was gangbusters. Yeah, raspberry liquid. Everybody had syphilis that they needed to take care of back then, and this kind of thing would help. That's right. And if it could be a pleasant experience, well then great. And then, uh, that was September when they made their first shipment, right? Yes. By October, middle of October, October 11th to be specific, Uh, A group of doctors in Tulsa contacted the AMA, the American Medical Association, and said, "Um, we think there's something really wrong with this new Massengill product, which they called sulfanilamide elixir, yeah, or elixir of sulfanilamide. Um, We think it's killing people, actually, and killing them in one of the worst ways imaginable.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a just go sleepy time now. It was a pretty bad death, right?
1: You're writhing in agony. You're probably puking your guts up. You're yeah. just you're dying from from being poisoned.
0: Yeah. So the AMA got a hold of some stuff, and they said, you know what? The actual drug is fine, but this uh, the solution we mix it with is the culprit. It is pure poison. Yeah. Who knew? Nobody knew,
1: and the reason why no one knew is because Massengill and Cole Watkins um, or Harold Cole Watkins. And his, his group of chemists were not obligated
0: to test this stuff out. Yeah. Well, people knew, though, that was the one frustrating thing, is mm-hmm. there were studies out that said this stuff was poison. Right. And I guess they just didn't read them.
1: Right. They didn't research the literature, which yeah. is a big deal. Sure. Um, but they also didn't test it out on human or animal ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, and, they again, they just looked at the, tech, or the uh, appearance, the smell, a little bit of the taste. Yeah. But no one took a full dose of this, apparently. Yeah. And um, people died. I think 100 people died in 15 states in about a month or so before they could get um, the shipments back. I yeah. Think, I think the FDA, the barely born FDA, um, this is one of its first actions, was going and getting this stuff.
0: Yeah. And the, the president of the company said, uh, you know, we haven't broken any laws because I guess there weren't laws on the books at the time. Mm-hmm. And the head chemist um, very sadly killed himself because of this. Yeah um like the story goes from bad to worse right and um Which, that was pretty japanese of him yeah you know yeah we did we do a full episode on that on suicide on uh i mean harikari but it had another name too right seppuku yeah did we do that or did we just mention it i'm sure we just
1: mentioned it okay um uh, yeah i think in the uh japanese stragglers and probably the samurai yeah and the revenge one yeah
0: boy hard to keep track these days, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It really, really is. <laughs> so uh, this led to, in 1938, uh, Congress in the U.S. Uh, enacted the FDA Cosmetic Act, which said that, you know what? You need to test these drugs on animals. And that therein sort of started, at least in the U.S., uh, the official like decree that you can and should do this. Right. But it had been going on a long time before that. Right. Our buddy Galen, who we've talked about before.
1: Well, even further back than Galen... Um if you look at uh, the Greeks, uh, as, at least as far back as about 500 BC, um, the ancient Greeks were using animals for testing, poking around, figuring out how to how the human body works. And there was this idea that there was an analogy between all animals that humans shared, so, like a lot of the same physiology of all animals. And there was a great disagreement among the Greeks yeah. in particular about whether that was true, but it didn't stop guys like Aristotle um, and...
0: Aristotelus?
1: Uh, yeah, and Hippocrates as well yeah. from basically poking around inside live animals, which is the the where the term for animal testing came from. The other term is vivisection. Right. Vivisection is cutting something open while it's still alive. Yeah, specifically
0: an animal, right? Or is that... No, you can vivisect humans. Oh, can you? Yeah, because dissection what is? occurs
1: after death. Right. Vivisection is like cutting open. I, th- I think technically surgery would be, but uh, the idea behind vivisection is that there's this is just for experimentation. Actually, gotcha.
0: not like let me heal that organ right there.
1: Right. Which, by the way, go back and listen to our human
0: experimentation episode. Yeah. That was a great one. I remember that one. Uh, so, flash forward a bit to second century Rome where. Our friend Galen, who we just talked about him in a podcast. Our live stuff in UK and Ireland. That's right. Which hopefully people will hear soon. Yes. Uh, He was a, a medical specialist and he said you know what I'm going to do a demonstration in the public I'm going to rent a hall watch this I'm going to, yeah basically I'm going to get this pig watch this pig and I'm going to prove that uh, we are all a bundle of nerves by snipping certain nerves of this pig hmm. you want to see him not squeal anymore yep. watch me snip this nerve right and uh, it was all planned and this uh, philosopher he's a pretty popular he had, guy he had punch and cookies <laughs> out he was really excited for this day. A philosopher that was in attendance named Alexander uh, Demacinus. Yeah? Demacinus?
1: One of those two.
0: He um, said, you know what? This is BS. It um, doesn't prove a thing. And in fact, none of these demonstrations prove anything. Because <clears throat> that's a pig and we're humans. Why are you bothering? Right. And
1: apparently the uh, Romans had adopted from the Greeks the idea that uh, empirical evidence didn't really prove anything. Yeah, they even a if you battle. Saw, if you saw something... It doesn't mean it was true, (laughs) right? which is a weird philosophy. I'd like to understand a little more. I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. Sure, But that's just like such a completely radically different paradigm from what we have now. Um, The paradigm of science where seeing is indeed believing that it requires empirical evidence used to be the opposite. Yeah. And that was uh, Alexander's big objection like, hey, man, you can cut that pig's nerve all day long. And sure, I saw it, and sure, it had that effect, but it doesn't prove anything. Right. And Galen was like, I hate you. I hate that idea. I hate Aristotle.
0: Yeah, I'm leaving.
1: Because Aristotle was uh, apparently somebody who said, I, yeah, I've, I've poked around in a pig or two in my time, and I've concluded that the heart and not the brain is the center. This idea that a nerve connected to the brain could control anything is hogwash, if you'll forgive the pun.
0: Yeah, Aristotle's just a big dummy.
1: The Not dumbest so. of
0: them all. <laughs> so um, Galen did, in fact, say, I'm leaving. He said, I'm taking my medical bag and I'm going home. And then everyone there was like, Bo, I really want to see this pig get cut apart. Please, Come on. Please don't leave. So he said, okay, you guys, I'll do it. you twisted my arm. <laughs> Came back in, uh, performed the experiment, the demonstration. And this was the one of the first recorded um, examples of experimenting on animals for science. Yeah. So the ball was rolling.
1: Yeah, and um, I I don't know if Galen hadn't done it first, and he he obviously hadn't done it first because he came a few hundred years after Aristotle who had done that. But if Aristotle hadn't done it, eventually somebody who was curious enough would have grabbed a dog or a chicken or something and just cut it open and started looking at what was inside. Yeah. You know? For sure. Like, it would have happened, but these are the people who are recorded doing it first.
0: Uh, go forward in time a bit to the late 19th century, and there was a microbiologist from Germany named Robert uh, Koch. Koch? And he Koch? got, he got some, uh, some anthrax. He got some blood from cows killed by anthrax. Right. Started looking at it under a microscope and said, you know what? Something in there looks funny to me. <clears throat> that might be the anthrax. So let me take that and put it in a mouse mm-hmm. and see what happens. The mouse died, and he said, I'm onto something here.
1: I'm pretty sure that was the anthrax.
0: Yep. Uh, and yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Again, using an animal
1: to experiment in order to further human understanding mm-hmm. and protect human health and life. That's right. <clears throat> Those are the biggies that people have used animals for.
0: Yeah, and that was actual, like, m- medically let me try and cure a disease. Yeah, not like the early guys, like, what does this do? What
1: happens if I sever
0: this? Yeah, but it it went on. My ancient Greek impression? (laughs) Yeah. Um, The point I was trying to make, I guess, was later on in the 1950s, people started, Mm -hmm. and notably this uh, Russian, uh, Dmitry uh, Believ, started using research on animals, uh, not necessarily for uh, curing diseases. But to study behavior. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about them in our animal domestication episode. Yeah, so what he, he had <clears throat> the great idea for these cute little silver foxes. He's like, I might like one of those as a pet. Sure. I have a niece who would <laughs> love one of those. Man, have you seen those fox videos? Yeah, where the, they cry and walk around
1: crying Well, or calling or
0: whatever. Yeah, they and they shake their little tail when you scratch their belly. and I don't
1: know if I've seen that one.
0: Oh, it's very cute. They make sort of like a little <clears throat> purring, uh, little chirpy... Mm-hmm. purr and wiggle their tail and wag their tail and mm-hmm. it's just like oh man you're the perfect combination of dog and cat yeah foxes are pretty cute <laughs> yeah so that's why uh, we wanted to tame them well that's exactly what he did too and he thought i know that uh domestication usually takes many 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 years but let me see if i can do it in like 20 25 years
1: right and chuck speaking of uh behavioral studies one of the most famous of all using animals was pavlov's dogs and I was researching it, and I had no idea. Pavlov didn't just, like, uh, ring a bell for his dogs to make them salivate. Right. He surgically altered his dogs. He went and got their salivary glands and put them on the outside of their faces what? so that he could collect saliva samples more easily. Wow. And he created, remember that cow... In Athens that had a porthole in it. Yep. Same thing for the dogs. Wow. So that he could collect uh, gastric juices, digestive juices uh, for samples as well. So what you're saying is that he was a crazy madman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Wow. So I, I think the larger point here is that humans have been just grabbing animals or even breeding animals for the sole purpose of using them. To understand things a little more, right? Yes. Whether it be cutting them open to see how anatomy works, to f- using them as um, as m- for medical experiments to determine that um, anthrax is actually bloodborne and can kill you. Yeah. Um, to
0: behavioral studies, right? Yeah. And we should point out that it worked. He was able to weed out, and by weed out, I mean cull, and by cull, we mean kill. And by kill, we mean probably break their necks. Think?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the big problems with with this talking about this stuff is so many
0: euphemisms are used. Yeah. Like you just you just demonstrated. Yeah. So um what he did was he was able to weed out the foxes that weren't as tame and eventually he ended up with a fox that was by all accounts domesticated. Yeah. A nice little pet. It said,
1: Dimitri, I love you.
0: <laughs> and it's not just animals um,
1: that are cute that we can tame um, animals on what most people would say are roughly the lower end of the spectrum as far as life is concerned are very frequently used like, um, nematodes, fruit flies. Sure. Um, they come into use largely because they, um, have some similar processes. Like if you're studying a, a very ancient process right, or a very ancient part of the body, like, um, insulin regulation, uh, huh that you're going to find it throughout the animal kingdom. It's going to be pretty widespread. Okay. So the idea is if you can track insulin regulation in a fruit fly, you could conceivably extrapolate those findings onto a human. Right. And a human's insulin regulation. And the advantage of a fruit fly or a nematode is that they're really easy to breed. Sure. And they reproduce very quickly. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So if you're like Dmitry Belayev and you're studying foxes. Yeah. It took him 25 years to go through 20 generations. Yeah. It would take you roughly a month, I would guess, to go through about 20 generations of fruit flies. So, therefore, you can track mutations much more quickly. sure, Much more inexpensively. So, um, the fruit flies, the nematodes, other, again, lesser life forms- um, have been used extensively in medical testing as well. And they and they they count, they qualify. It's a live organism that's being used for experimentation purposes.
0: Yeah, and uh, it kind of depends on what you're trying, what your aim is, what your goal is to what animal you do use because you can't just use any animal for anything. Um, and here's a fun fact. I did not know that the armadillo is an animal that can actually get hansen's disease aka leprosy
1: we knew that we talked about it in the leprosy episode
0: i don't remember mentioning the armadillo i am scared to
1: death of armadillos now because of this. really oh yeah when i see it i just look at them like leprosy you don't hug them any longer no <laughs> like no and mean, like you'll too. see him on the side of the road you know uh, hit by a car or something like yeah, that Yeah, texas and i always double check um well here in georgia too yeah a little bit um I always check to make sure that my air recirculator is on when I pass them by. That like the leprosy didn't waft into my car <laughs> as I drove past
0: the the roadkill. Wow, that I was damaged by the leprosy episode. Uh, well, they actually have the perfect body temperature to allow study uh, on uh, vaccines for leprosy. <clears throat> um, and speaking of, by
1: the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did, I just found out last night that koalas carry chlamydia. Really? And transmit it sexually and can die from it. Oh, man. Yeah, and are actually partially endangered in some ways because they have chlamydia. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Think about that next time you want a hug from that cute little critter. Right. You know? Oh, well, they'll tear your face off, too. Uh, Should we take a little break here? Yeah. All right. Let's take a break, and we're uh, going to come back and talk more about the different uh, animals used and why. (laughs)
1: Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Uh, Chuck, uh, before we get back to it, I want to say this is um, this th- this episode and the other one that's coming out Thursday. Oh, yeah, there's a suite. Yeah, and they're kind of done in conjunction with these guys, um, Joe and Tim, who uh, run a site called PrimerStories.com. And um they do seasons they're like animators um web dudes uh-huh. and it shows they know what they're doing yeah and they've basically taken they they'll take essays I wrote an essay then they take it and they break it up into chunks and they animate it right so as you're going scrolling down you're you're reading but you're also experiencing um the 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 art the animation that yeah. really kind of brings out the ideas of each one. It's a really, really neat site. They um they contacted us after our San Francisco show last year. Right. Or No, early this year. And um, they said, hey, do you want to do one of these? And I went and looked, and I was amazed. Yeah. And I said, yes, I totally do. So you can go um, check out the essay I wrote at uh, primerstories.com slash S-Y-S-K. And that one is the one
0: we're uh, mm-hmm. releasing after this one, correct?
1: Well, it ties into both. It's it's kind of this essay about um, humans changing attitude toward animal rights. Yeah, but uh, it was fun to do, and they're cool. They're yeah. cool dudes for sure, and I like what they're doing. Um, this is their fourth season. Nice fourth season. Nice plug.
0: Nice work. Thanks. Uh, all right. So we were talking about um, using different animals, and how uh, if it's you know a fruit fly or a nematode, people don't get their hackles up too much. No, it's true. Um, If it is a rat or a mouse, people start getting their hackles up a little more. Yeah. Um, And mice are very famously used a lot. Uh, 90% um, of our genes overlap with this uh, mouse, Um, specifically this one. Which is it? (laughs) Moose? Or muse genus mice? Mises genus mice? So that's the one that they use most often that uh, has the 90% overlap. Uh, And their cell structure and organ uh, organization are basically the same as ours. So um, they do a lot of testing with these mice as a result. Uh, Everything from, you know, disease and stuff to uh, genetics uh, to behavioral, they they kind of run the gamut. Right. On mice? Yeah, for sure.
1: And from that point up, they tend to, I think, run the gamut. Some are a little more specific than others, like beagles, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really come in handy when you're testing prostate cancer. Um, or and muscular dystrophy, both. Yeah. Um, because they can contract those yeah. or develop those. So they make great animal models.
0: Yeah, the, these cats because uh, <clears throat> their sight and their hearing and their balance. I, I have to ask, how are you feeling right now? About this episode? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? Like about the topic. So. Uh Because you're holding it together really well. (laughs) You mean I'm not crying yet? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've checked my emotions out of this one. Okay. I I think this two-part suite will get points across. Sure. I'm just relying on that. I'll get weepy later tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the secret of Nim?
0: Yeah, sure. I had forgotten what the secret was, or
1: I I don't think it ever dawned on me what the secret really was, and I went back and was reading about the... Those were mice, Right. They were rats. Rats, yeah. And the secret of Nim. Well, we probably shouldn't say.
0: Would that be a spoiler? Yeah, I think so. It's like the spoiler, like that's in the title. What if the secret of Nim was that Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense was dead all along? Mm. <laughs> you know what I think was an even. Oh wait, is that a spoiler? Yeah,
1: I think it was. <laughs> it was years ago, at least. If you haven't seen The Sixth Sense by now, yeah. T.S. for you. Save your email. Go see the others, though. A lot of people haven't seen the others That's all that? The Sixth Sense. Uh, the one with Cole Kidman. And oh, the yeah. Kids.
0: That was oh, good. Man,
1: that was great. Very atmospheric, moody film. That one and The Orphanage. Yeah, another um, good one. Yeah. It's fantastic. Agreed. I think The Orphanage is maybe even the better of the two.
0: Oh, yeah? Yep. Uh, so monkeys, primates, um, well, non-human primates, we should say. <clears throat> nice. Specifically, the macaque monkey is used a lot because they're... Uh, There's a lot of them, and they're widely uh, distributed and uh, have a robust population. So, you know, they've made a lot of advances into neuroscience uh, thanks to the macaque monkey. And then um, there's
1: some animals that'll just do because they contain flesh, like pigs and goats. Right. are used a lot in what's called live tissue trauma training, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, It's used to train battlefield medics in the military. Yeah. Uh, and the Coast Guard apparently, and <clears throat> um, the animals anesthetized deeply to like surgical plane levels, and um, shot or blown up or um, just weird stuffs done to it to, yeah. to simulate a battlefield trauma. Wow! So that a, a medic can do live, uh, what it's called, live tissue trauma training, so they can save a life on the battlefield. Yeah, but then they euthanize the. They kill the animal afterward, sure. of but yes, are. on the battlefield, that's the whole. I mean, that's the whole
0: point. They're, yeah. they're, and they're saying there's no substitute for that. Well, which is sort of the what they scientists and doctors say. Well, we're, we'll get into all that. Okay. Uh, one thing we should mention, though, is that if you uh, look for labels that say this was not tested on animals, uh, it's sort of like the whole free range chicken myth. Um. It's not exactly what you think it is. Right. Well, free range chickens, doesn't it have to have like a porch
1: attached to the structure? And they don't even have to have access to it necessarily? You just have or... to have
0: the, the door open so they can leave if they want. I got you. Um, but you have people have images, I think, of <coughs> these chickens running around the fields. <laughs> the idyllic countryside. Yeah, but they don't. They, they're in the barn where the food is and they kind of don't leave. But the door's there, so they're technically free range. Huh. Uh, unless something's changed. When I worked in the chicken industry, those sad things that sad year or whatever it was.
1: I would guess absolutely nothing's changed.
0: Probably so. But if you look for uh, labels that say cruelty-free <clears throat> or not tested on animals, it may not mean what you think because uh, technically there's no oversight on a label like that. And it could mean that we did not, in the final product of this cosmetic, test it on animals. We didn't test this rouge, but all the raw ingredients that went into this from our suppliers were tested on animals.
1: Right. Or uh, back in the 60s or 70s, they tested these same ingredients on animals and there's no need for us to test them again. So now we can say, not tested on animals. Even though- Lately. these things Right. These things were tested on animals years back. Yeah. Um, and actually, China has changed things recently as um, the West was getting further and further away. I think the EU banned imports of of anything that had been tested on animals cosmetics wise. Oh wow. Um and China has gone the opposite direction. It it is mandated that anything imported into China cosmetics wise must have been tested on animals. So it kind of reset things uh, here in the west because there's a lot of western companies like yeah I want in on that Chinese market and China saying, "Well, you got to test your like the whole thing on animals before it comes in here." Right.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh So here's the deal. Over the 20th century, um, we've made a lot of medical advances. Uh, Life expectancy, this is kind of a neat stat, has gone up uh, about three months per year in the 20th century, largely due to stuff like this, testing for disease. Well, yeah. People
1: who are advocates of animal testing say that would not have happened, maybe at all, had we not used animals. That's right and life expectancy was extended 3 months a year from i think like 1840 to 2006 or something like that that's nuts every year yeah um and and that was advanced by finding things like antibiotics and vaccines and all of the things that um not just extend the human life but make the the extended years more enjoyable as well more right. healthy um and that's a huge uh, rallying cry for people who point to animal testing and say this is this is necessary and has right. to continue. And actually, there was a 2011 poll of biomedical researchers by Nature, which is no slouch of a scientific journal, and they found that 90 percent agreed with the f- the sentence: "Use of animals in research is essential." And right.
0: That's 2011. So yeah. that's not that that sentiment isn't going anywhere. No, I think that's probably pretty much accurate today. Uh, on the other side of the coin, you have uh, animal rights uh, activists. And, and even if you're not an activist, just your average Joe on the street or Jane um, might say, you know what, this is unethical, uh, it does a lot of harm, uh, it's wasteful, and there are better ways to do it. Uh, in fact, some people say it's not even doing the job that it should be doing. Uh, for instance... Uh, they can cure cancer in mice, and we have been able to do this for a while. Mm-hmm. Can't cure it in humans. Um, of the 85 HIV-AIDS vaccines that were tested uh, successfully on primates, mm-hmm. they don't work on humans.
1: And one of them may have even made humans more susceptible
0: yeah. to it. Yeah. So it's <clears throat> uh, you know there's two very strong sides to this argument. The FDA has said that nine-tenths of all drugs in development don't work in humans uh, after they worked in animals because you just can't tell.
1: Right. And actually, I, I looked that up. It's it's a little bit of a fallacy. It's more like 94% oh, wow. fail in cl- clinical trials. But that's all preclinical trials. that So not just animal testing, but also non-animal testing, yeah. where it passed the, the first stages when it made it to clinical trials. 94% of all drugs failed to uh, work or actually harmed humans. There's another side of the coin, though, too, Chuck. How many sides are uh, on this coin? There's, it's like it's one, like one it. of those hundred-sided <laughs> die that you see in <laughs> D&D but never know how to use. Yeah, um, There are probably a lot of drugs out there that harmed animals and were shelved right then. Didn't make it into clinical trials because yeah. the animals were harmed. That may not have harmed humans, and oh, actually yeah. could have cured things. Interesting. So there's people saying, "No, we 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 need to be testing on humans because we're using this for humans." Right. It's, that's that's what some some uh, pro, I guess uh, protesters against animal testing would say. And then um, another thing that I saw is that you you tend to think like, okay, well, it's advancing science. So I, I can't really get in the way of that. Right. But there are um, – one of the the critiques of that argument is not all the science is, is good that's yeah. being done. And like a lot of animal lives – if you agree that animal lives are are valuable and but that using an animal life to advance scientific understanding, to protect human health and life yeah. is worthy, it's a, a worthy use of an animal, then – that you would also probably agree with the idea that wasting the animal's life in scientific testing is is unforgivable, right? Yeah. So there was this survey in 2009, PLOS 1, Proceedings of the Library of Science 1, the journal, of 271 animal studies that found that <clears throat> 41% failed to even state a hypothesis or objective to the test. Wow. Um, 30% failed to describe the statistic methods used uh, in the study, 87% didn't randomize. 86% didn't use blinding. And those are basic scientific efforts that you have to make in any experiment, yeah. right? Those are very basic, um, which means that those things were wasted, which means those animals' lives were wasted. And wow. the, the suggestion is, is that a lot of publicly funded science is just not very good science, and it's wasting the lives of the animals involved.
0: Well, that's sad. I'm starting to get emotional. Okay. All right. Let's take a break then. And uh, we'll come back and uh, talk a little bit about our old buddy, Charles D. Chuck D. Darwin.
1: All right. Game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.
0: All right, so I teased everybody with Charles Darwin. Oh, is that who you're talking about? (laughs) Which is what I do every Halloween. I dress up as Charles Darwin and tease the local teens. Oh, what are you going to dress up as for our um, show in D.C. on October 29th? I don't know, but I'm glad you mentioned that, because uh, we're doing a show at the Lincoln Theater, Mm -hmm. and we're turning it into a Halloween ball. It's a Halloween bash, not even a ball. Yeah. It's a a rung above the ball. Including a a reading of a a Halloween story like we do, just for their ears only. Yeah, plus we'll be dressed up. We're
1: encouraging everyone who comes to be dressed up. Maybe I'll go as Charles Darwin. And as far as I know, it's an all-ages show. But it could get spooky, and our shows do get a little blue. So just f y i you've been warned,
0: so Charles Darwin, who I may dress <clears throat> up
1: as i've got I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going as well, I'd rather not reveal it at no, the, no, at not. the time
0: um, he was kind of in on this game a long time ago, and he was he loved animals, uh, but he also wanted to study animals, but he also wanted to treat them humanely while he studied animals <clears throat> sounds sounds like Charles Darwin kind of approach, yes. So there was a uh, in 1874. There was like people were actually starting to get in trouble for some of these things. Uh, In 1874, these scientists were actually put on trial for torturing dogs uh, because they wanted to see how absinthe and alcohol affected their nervous system. So they cut them open and exposed them to these liquids. They just (laughs) doused them in is what I what I'm taking from it. I have no idea. I guess so. Uh, they were actually acquitted, but um, it sort of brought things into the uh, in the front of everyone's minds. And uh, Darwin, people were saying, let's not do this at all. And Darwin stepped in and said, he was a little more moderate and said, you know what, let's craft a bill here in the United Kingdom where you can do this, but uh, do it humanely. And that resulted in the Cruelty to Animals Act of 1876. Yeah. It was pretty great. It was advancement.
1: Uh, it was, but the U.K. actually has long led the way in the West for animal rights. Um, even even before that, as we'll see, they um, they were trying to protect animals, as we'll see in the next episode.
0: That's right. And then a little later, in 1954, uh, the University's Federation of Animal Welfare said, let's get these two dudes, uh, a zoologist and a microbiologist, uh, Russell and Birch, and just do a lot of research, guys, and come back with some findings that we can use. And boy, did they.
1: Yeah, they um, They were like, there's a lot better that we can do yeah. in protecting animals. They um, Scientists are typically dumb and can only remember things through alliteration. So these guys came up with the three R's. Right. Something that could be put on a PSA poster. Yeah. Um, the three R's, I'm just teasing about the scientist thing, are replacement, reduction, and refinement. Right? Yes. So your first goal is to... To find a replacement of the animal, is there any alternative to the animal in this experiment?
0: Yeah, well, like a, a, a sentient animal with a not like with a worm, perhaps instead of a mouse.
1: Right, or you know, if you can find a, a willing robot. <laughs>
0: right, you know
1: that fits the bill. Uh, the second one's reduction. You want to reduce the number of animals used to the absolute minimum. Yeah. You don't want to have any spare orangutans hanging around. You want to know how many you're going to use, and uh, those are the ones that you can kill.
0: Correct. And then finally, refine, which means, and, and this is you know sort of the opposite of what you were talking about with those awful stats that you said. Right. Like, let's refine this mm-hmm. and at least get your technique down uh, so well that, the suffering is minimized to its bare minimum as well. And the waste is reduced. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that
1: that uh, that was 1959 that Russell and Birch released the three R's. This is
0: 2009 that that one study I cited was conducted. It's fifty sad. years later. Yeah. So uh, PETA, you know, the people for the ethical treatment of animals. We've talked about them mm-hmm. quite a bit on the show. They are down with the three R's, of course. Uh, but they say, you know what, that's not enough, though. We have a lot of studies that show that there are way better ways of doing things these days <laughs> than uh, using animals. Yeah. Uh, with the computer modeling that we have now and software um, and, and humans.
1: Yeah, and um, they're, they've figured out techniques using uh, stem cells um, to grow organs or organ cells yes. or, s- like, say, skin cells in vitro. And then exposing them to the chemicals you want to test. And then not only will you have your reaction or non-reaction, you'll also have it with like a human, human cells. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, it, it messed this rabbit's face up pretty bad. Well, we'll just assume that it will mess up a human skin as well. It's no, this stuff really burned through that, that human skin tissue that we synthesized. So now we know for sure not to give it to humans. Right. There's also something called because um, a big objection to that is well that's just say it's a skin it's a group of skin cells in vitro that doesn't really replicate you know these really intricate interplays that make up organs and systems of organs yeah and there's a company out called um, oh, I don't remember what they're called, but their invention is organ on a chip. Oh, wow. It's amazing, dude. I watched this video about it last night. Like on a tortilla chip? <laughs> I <laughs> wish. That's <laughs> the only way it could be better It's if you could eat it afterward. But it'd be pretty messed up if you did. So it's like a USB stick size module. Uh-huh. That's the word I'm going with. It's transparent. And um, say the lung on a chip has some branching stuff. Uh-huh. And inside there is a layer of um, lung cells. Yeah. And the, that replicate and simulate a human lung, right? So you have human lung cells growing in the, in arranged in the way that they would in the human lung. And then the, this device allows you to pass air over the top and blood over the top and introduce bacteria and introduce white blood cells Uh and study what they do. So you're replicating the function of a, a human lung on this little thing. But which it's it, all which, a simulation. It is, but it's a real simulation. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's using real lung cells and they're functioning like a lung normally would. Yeah. Except you don't have to you don't have to use you don't have to say here in, in inhale this, we'll just pass this antibiotic across the lung cells and it'll treat it like it, uh, the human lung would. Interesting. It's amazing. And then yeah, if you could eat it afterward, <laughs> eat the human lung cells with some guacamole, <laughs> you'd be like this, this is the, the circle of life is complete.
0: Well, that's sort of the, one of the big points, though, that PETA and a lot of organizations use is that we're, we're so advanced now with our computer modeling and these simulations that mm-hmm. they're actually... They are better ways than... Like, it's sort of archaic to experiment on an animal. Like, these are not only cruelty-free, but it's smarter and better. Right. That's the argument they make.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the statistics cut both ways like uh, if you look at PETA's stats they're like uh, animal models are predictive it's in this dismal range right for you know human outcomes and then the people who are in favor of animal testing say well these these computer models are actually the ones that have dismal results right so both sides I guess it's just too new maybe it's unproven yeah but there, there does seem to be uh, a movement afoot in in uh, biomedicine to replace as much as possible computer models with, or animals with computer models.
0: Yeah. Uh, some of the other things that uh, animal rights groups lobby for are things like, well, how about you just do like CT scans or MRIs? <clears throat> You're not actually harming the animal. Mm-hmm. Or uh, this thing called micro dosing, where you actually give humans just very, very small doses of these medicines right. that that won't be enough to hurt them if, things don't work out, but you could tell if it's going to be effective or not.
1: Yeah. It still produces that reaction on a
0: molecular level.
1: It's just not going to have a system wide toxic effect on it. Yeah. That's pretty pretty,
0: that's pretty neat. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and there, there, there's some change, but at the same time, there's also, um, some digging in on, on both sides as well. Like for example, with that live tissue trauma training, uh, huh. Um, There was a a movement to replace uh, any live animal with a dummy or a mannequin or something like that. And the people who are proponents of using animals in live tissue trauma training say, man, there's something that can happen to a battlefield medic during combat, and that's called freezing, Uh when they're presented with... A human being with you know a, a major trauma, right? They can just sit there and freeze and freak out because this is the first time they've been exposed to it. One of the aspects of you know blowing the leg off of a pig is that this person's having to work on a pig, and yeah, it's a pig, but it's a live pig, right? It's not a recessa annie, right? Exactly, and yeah. maybe they they made a, they made the person care for the pig for like a week first, so that it has even more. Oh, of it. Wow. Well, I just made that up, but you could <laughs> you could see how the how that would like that would be tough to replace, thats sure. a tough one to argue with, yeah, but I think ultimately the question is raised, Chuck, um and this is what we're gonna address in the next episode is is probably the largest question of all, and is do humans have or have humans ever had the right to use animals for our own means, right, and that's uh we'll talk about that one on the next episode, boy, that's a nice cliffhanger, I think so too. well done. Uh, Do we have Listener Mail this
0: one? Yeah, and you know what? Not only that, we have a two-part Listener Mail Awesome! uh, that has its own cliffhanger.
1: Man, all right. Well, let's get to it. So if you want to know more about animal testing, you can type that word in the search bar at howstuffworks.com, and it will bring up this excellent article. And uh, since I said search
0: bar, it's time for part one of Listener Mail. That's right. Uh, This one was so robust. It's an unprecedented two parter from uh, Yvonne. Not Ivan, but Yvonne. Will he grow up to be a good man? <laughs> I hope so. No, that's Levon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the L's silent. Um, and those weren't, weren't the right words anyway, but it's adorable. <laughs> All right, uh, here we go. First off, guys, got to say, you're not only my favorite podcast, but you're also uh, my 10 year old son's favorite podcast. Listen to every episode at least twice. How about that? And my son's also a big fan of your TV show and the animated shorts. Boy, Poor they're kid. in deep. Wow. Uh, however, my beautiful fiance is not. <laughs> uh, in fact, there have been times when I will be sitting uh, next to her and she's reading a book and I'll have my headphones listening to the podcast so I don't disturb her and I'll burst out laughing like a crazy person in her words. Uh, this, quote, crazy, end quote, behavior of mine is directly... Uh, Related to listening to you too, so thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, one of the reasons I write is to call your attention. Uh, you said on the Sugar at Powers the Earth podcast in 2014, uh, Chuck says, One day we're going to re record a show and not realize it. We're going to hear about it. Well, you managed to do it. You probably heard from someone else by now, but you have covered the topic of customs twice. Yep. The most recent one in August 2016, uh, and the previous one in September of 2010. Don't get me wrong, both were great. I honestly think that both of you legitimately forgot. Uh, I was waiting for either of you to acknowledge it the second time, and that never came. And, Yvonne, you are right on the money, pal. Yeah, it's true. Josh emailed me and said, hey, buddy, guess what? We've done this. It finally happened. Yeah. We released it. And um, at first I was like, shoot. But then I thought, you know what? we got a nice bit of trivia now. Mm-hmm. It was bound to happen, and now... People have it's it's almost like an Easter egg, (laughs) right? That that listeners and fans can say, like, you know, which one they uh, did twice. If you're a true fan, you know. You know, it's weird though. um, At no point during the
1: research and recording of the customs episode was I like this sounds really familiar. Or uh, did we talk about this? Nothing. No point whatsoever. Nope. So that might make the first customs episode the least memorable episode we've ever done.
0: Perhaps. Hmm. So uh, part two you can look for in the second part of this uh, suite coming out from Hmm. Yvonne, uh, wherein he made a list of all of our band names over the years. (laughs) Wow. And he also made a list of Hmm. your puns. I am not punny. I take issue with that. I'll talk about it in the next episode. Great. That's a great setup.
1: Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like uh, Levon Levon. Levon. and what is his son's name did he say he didn't say but um Yvonne and son yeah they sound like a funeral home that's right uh, you can tweet to us at sysk podcast or hang out with me at Josh um Clark. Uh, you can hang out with us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And check out Chuck at Charles W. Chuck Bryant and me at Super Josh Clark, both on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on social media that hasn't even been invented yet. Yeah. Plus, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, the newly updated StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
1: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at DiscoverPuertoRico.com.